Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm. And like any good lawyers, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. Brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. Welcome, Philip. How are you doing this week? Jason, thank you very much. Thank you for, again, joining me on this episode of What the Meta. Today, we're talking about something very near and dear to my heart. I think yours, too. Oh, I think so. You know, we're all capitalist pigs, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, this episode is 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 called uh, uh, Meta Money, Meta Problems, right? And, uh, you know, it's it's a spinoff of what we talked about last week. Last week, uh, sorry, last episode. Last episode, we talked about property in the metaverse. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different platforms and listings in the metaverse. And, uh, Philip, you and I, we went over it about how it was fundamentally strange, right? Uh, to bring meat space, real world concepts of property to, to the metaverse, right? There's lots of issues, right? Uh, all, everything from our existence and that being also commoditizable uh, to, you know, we don't know what platforms are going to exist in a few years. And we actually, you know, how do we actually trade this property uh, was really kind of hinted at, but we didn't get into it. So this week, we're going to be talking about money in the metaverse, right? And so let's just jump into it, I guess. There's no, there, you know, first of all, uh, I think a disclaimer is pretty ne necessary here, right? We're not your, we are lawyers, but we're not your financial or legal advisors, right? We're not your lawyers. We're not your lawyers. If you want to do that, please send us a retainer, talk to, uh, it's just a joke. But, you know, <laughs> you know, so anything that you do with the, your money in the metaverse, that's that's on you. Uh, anything you do in meet space with their money, it's on you, right? But um, Basically, to start this conversation, I thought it'd be uh, really interesting to do what we normally do, which is to take a step back and get uh, quote unquote philosophical in a grad student sort of cafe sort of way, right? Uh, so, Phil, what's your take on what the purpose of money is? You know, what, what is money? Love these just softball questions you toss at me in the opening <laughs> minutes of our podcast, Jason. Um, what is the purpose of money? I mean, at the end of the day, I th it's conceptually things that we can trade instead of trading things, right? right? So it's easy if I'm selling you, you know, a lemon for an apple because I can give you a lemon, you can give me an apple, no problem. But if it turns into uh, something larger, you know, it could be livestock or uh, a house or a monument or just something that's hard to move or something rooted in the ground, right? Some, some timber or something of the sort. I can't physically give that to you. So money um, is the medium we used to represent value. So those trees have a value. I can't give you the actual tree. I'll give you something that represents the value of the tree. And that is what I think, right? Money is now. Was it always that way? I don't know. Are there other symbols? Are there other uses of money? Absolutely. But I would say that, I would say fundamentally money is that it's a representation of value that is easily transportable, easily movable, is fungible, right? In a certain mm -hmm. way, every dollar is like every other dollar, at least we hope. And it's used to uh, help us things that are otherwise immovable oh, and or intangible, actually. And I think this goes back to our earlier property discussion, because you're right, property in the metaverse is different because it's intangible and digital. But that's, this isn't the first time we've done that, right? The idea of intellectual property, intangible property, like we've learned 
at least we try to deal with those things. So it's not as if we're in completely new ground in talking about uh, property and money in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. um, but money out here represents value, and one would think it should do the same thing in there. Yeah, I mean, my historian friends will will get on me about you know about it, but from my understanding of of history and early or uh, you know early sort of civilizations and things like that, that's exactly I think what it was for, right? It was uh, you know gold coins and the Roman Empire, all that kind of stuff was just meant to demarcate what you could get in terms of tangible or intangible goods, right? So you know ultimately. I think put another way, it's a weird social construct that we created, right? Where we we've imbued this whatever it is with power, right? And you know, in the old days, it was actual. I mean, even today, it's literal gold, right? We mm -hmm. still we still care about the value of gold, mm -hmm. even though, you know, I what I mean, I only wear one piece of gold, and that's my wedding ring. I think that's basic about it, right? I mean, I don't really I don't really trade in gold. I'm not flavor flav, right? So, but <laughs> uh, you know, but the real thing is, we've decided as a society that it has actual value. And right. that's a really bizarre concept when you think about it just conceptually, right? And it all hinges on social belief. And it's very fragile, I think. That's what you know, people, I think, overlook, right? I mean, uh, and that's what leads to things like hyperinflation, right? So where you know, the, the, the money that's printed on is actually more worthwhile than the actual value behind it, like you know, the Zimbabwean dollar in, like the, in, the, in the late 2000s, I believe, right? You know, I think they hit a, uh, well, I know that they hit a, uh, and year-on-year -year inflation rate of 89.76 trillion percent in mid-November 2008, right? So when society actually breaks down, uh, or at least the financial system breaks down, you know, all of this house of cards sort of goes up in, you know, in, in smoke, right? Because if it doesn't matter, <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I hear you, but I feel at the same time, there's some value in that social value construct that we all agree on the same thing. I mean, in a very fundamental way, that's all language is, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm making noises with my mouth and you understand it as, as, as a concept. And that's only because essentially we both agree that these words mean these things. Absolutely. It's not yeah. different than that, right? Um, and in terms of sort of, yes, definitely catastrophically, you can have hyperinflation that destroys an economy, but we're right now living in a period that we haven't experienced since, I mean, was it the 70s the last time we had inflation? I think the, this is the 12th of April that we are recording this. And I think inflation numbers just came out and it's like higher than it's been in a really long time, something like eight and a half. Oh, you know, inflation is both destructive. It, you know, it serves an economic function Quite honestly, we should probably have an, an economist on to talk about money if we're, if we're doing this. But I hear you. Certainly, you know, money is just a social construct, but in a sense, so is language. And so in that mm -hmm. sense, they have, it has power, right? Even though it is just, quote unquote, a social construct. And you know, what's really interesting is that in, in meat space in the real world, right? It, the reason why we have so much confidence is that, you know, in terms of the state-backed, you know, currency system and economic system, we have more confidence in it. Uh, than probably at any other point in history, because we, you know, supposedly there's a little bit more, uh, you know, oversight. There's a little bit more ability for us to interact uh, with with these mechanisms, and you can argue about uh, that in different ways. But there is a, a method. There is basically uh, some sort of confidence that you're going to get your money back if you put it in, uh, you know, uh, either through insurance or state-backed uh, regimes and stuff like that. You're not even you invest it or you or you save it. It's not going to just disappear into the ether, right? And that's what, at least in America and other Western countries, that that's the, the overriding belief that this money is actually, the state is good for it and they'll back you up on it, right? Um, yeah. But then that also leads to, 
what we're talking about today, which is, I, I think, you know, the role of cryptocurrency, right, and decentralized finance and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Um, and the goal of cryptocurrency is obviously to remove traditional perceived bottlenecks, right, caused by what we're talking about, which is central banking, state bank, bank, banking systems and financial systems. And I guess the theory is that if crypto is adopted by the masses, we, and, you know, we can all do this, we can all negotiate our transactions via this technology and digital ledger, ledgers, uh, that this decentralized form will actually allow us to do whatever we want without oversight and without interference. Um, how do you feel about that, Philip? I mean, like, I mean, I know that's a big question. I know it's unfair, but it, it, you know, theoretically, I mean, uh, you know, uh, obviously, this has this is this relates to the metaverse, and we'll get into that. But you know, overall, uh, you know, this is also belief based on a belief. Do you think that belief is getting stronger, or do you think we've peaked, or how, how do you feel about cryptocurrency in its current format? So I, I, cryptocurrency, I don't think is like language or a social construct, right? Um, I guess I should say blockchain. The way that I sort of conceptually understand it is it's mathematics. And in that sense, it doesn't matter whether you or I agree that mm -hmm. the point of the blockchain is our belief in it is irrelevant. It exists. It's been proven um, by its own rules. And those rules dictate that those proofs are reliable. And because of that, you know, what the math says is true, is true. That's different, I think, than these fiat currencies. Dollar has value because the United States government has value, because the people of America have value, because we're all going to keep on pushing in the same direction, right? That's, that's the assumption. Uh, countries can never go bankrupt because there'll always be people working and making more money. <laughs> that's the theory. Uh, I don't think De DeFi doesn't have that problem, right? I mean, if every computer on the planet disappeared, then all of these currencies based on blockchain sort of would not exist anymore. But, you know, there could be no people. And as long as there's electricity, there's still the math. And that's, that's still the case. So in a sense, I think that crypto is different than fiat currency. Newsflash, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the way it's different matters. Um, like you were saying before, money out here, central banks, relies on trust, relies on verification, relies on faith. And I think some of the point of blockchain is to get away from that because it's supposed to be trustless. It doesn't matter that I don't know you. It doesn't matter that you don't know me. It's just there's, there's, there's one ETH in my wallet, there's one ETH in your wallet, and those are the case, right? People can hack and take, but you can't, uh, you can't fib. <laughs> like that's, that's what the blockchain is. Everybody can look at it. It's public. We can all see what's happening. So in that sense, I have a lot of faith in that technology. Um, I... That faith is based upon so my interaction with it, which is limited, my understanding of it, which is limited. But, you know, that's true for most things in my life. And this is no different than those. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to get into is, you know, we're, we're throwing around some concepts like everybody understands. And I have to admit, I have to do some research, as, I have to do some research as well, right? Because we use different concepts and, and terminology, you know, and I hate doing this, uh, it very imprecisely, right? And people think cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. And that's not necessarily true, right? Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency, and not all, but not all blockchain-based cryptocurrency is Bitcoin, right? And um, you know, I wanted to highlight the fact that Bitcoin is very, also very different from other forms of blockchain-based cryptocurrency, such as uh, Ethereum, like you just mentioned, right? So, you know, what are the common characteristics of all cryptocurrency leveraging blo blockchain? I would say that it's decentralized, right? It operates on a peer-to-peer -peer network. 
And then, like you said, in terms of trustless, it creates a permanent ledger that's unalterable, right? You will know exactly, you know, uh, what happened if you just go down the lane of transactions, right? But every cryptocurrency and every form of that in terms of blockchain-based cryptocurrency is different, right? And, and this is something that, again, I'm going to ask you, and you might disagree with me, but I kind of think of Bitcoin like digital gold more than anything, right? It can be used for payments, and it has a finite supply, but the value is really climbing with the perception of scarcity due to the finite supply, right? There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, limitations uh, that have been uh, kind of pointed out with blockchain as a medium of exchange, right? In terms of the slow sort of transaction rate or, or, or recording rate and all that kind of stuff. So it can't replace sort of fiat currency like, or, or replace transactions like other uh, forms of cryptocurrency could do. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with being digital gold, <laughs> right? If, if it has perceived value and people are willing to trade with it and people want to take it to the moon, although that's Dogecoin, uh, they can they can do that, right? Um, am I am I out to lunch on this one, or, or would you agree with me, or would you disagree with me on on ter- what the, the the you know what function Bitcoin uh, has in in the marketplace right now? That's a question I can't answer. I I don't think that your perceptions are off base. It seems to be how Bitcoin is being treated. Right, mm-hmm. its value is sort of so astronomically different than others, uh, probably based on scarcity, based on the first mover. Right, it was the own um, <clears throat> cryptocurrency out there. Excuse me. Um, so, it has that sort of lore as being, you know, like you said, finite, and its its mathematics is is really interesting. Right, the proof of work that um, goes into demonstrating the transactions that have happened is really powerful, um, mm-hmm. again, to my understanding, that it is almost impossible to fool it, to have, some, have it assert something that, ha- that isn't the case. And in that sense, Bitcoin is different than others. For example, Ethereum, or at least Ethereum after some changes in course, uh, uses a different method of proving its transactions. That, on the good side, uses less energy and has a smaller carbon footprint, but on the bad side is actually a little bit less secure than Bitcoin's hardcore proof of work. So Bitcoin is, yeah, the OG, um, but it also uses a mathematics that is difficult to fool, difficult mm-hmm. to trick, difficult to... Because of that, I don't think it's, it's not just perception that Bitcoin has the value. I mean, blockchain is cool because it has these different uses. can be used for things like currencies, um, but it has sort of other uses as well. And I feel that in the metaverse, it's going to be built a lot on blockchain technology, even if it's not necessarily based on crypto. I feel like these are concepts that are difficult to understand out here. And then once we start using them in a metaverse, they're going to become... Again, different, uh, harder to understand because in a sense, you can almost think about wearing your money, right? I think I'm jumping ahead of ourselves, but um, definitely in the metaverse, you can present with a skin or an avatar. And those images can use blockchain technology to essentially be your image. That's a different use of money than we would ever think about using out here. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to get to that. And that, that's, I think, a very critical point. The other thing that I wanted to highlight is that, is that there's a difference between sort of like a, like a coin and a token, right? So for instance, uh, you know, in, in other forms of blockchain, based uh, currencies like, uh, you know, Ethereum, like you mentioned, right? One of the biggest features it has, uh, maybe it's slightly less secure as you mentioned, but one of the biggest things it can do is it, it can, you can have smart contracts in the form of tokens, right? So tokens are something that has more functionality than some simple digital coin. So Bitcoin, it acts kind of like fiat currency, right? You use it as a store of measure, you, a, a store of value, you, you exchange it for a good, for a good or service, uh, whether it's digital or increasingly more in the real world. Tokens are, restricted to certain purposes, right? So instead of just facilitating pay payments, you know, you can restrict something to uh, just a product or service, right? So like, like you said, you can, you can restrict the token to just trading NFTs that represent your, your you know, your clothing or your assets, right? It's kind of like getting a Starbucks gift card, right? You can, it has value, but it's like, you know, you can only use it at Starbucks, theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. You can change it, you can exchange it again on a secondary exchange, you can, you can give it away or you can, you can sell it for money and get whatever you can recoup, but it's a little bit different from just fiat currency, right? Um, and I guess the proper terminology for that, because I'm a big terminology guy, those would be utility tokens, right? Uh, you know, that you, can, that you can exchange. And then tokens also have other tricks as well, where you can actually tie tokens to things that are external, right? Like, uh, what's it called? Investors, such as securities, right? Uh, such as like stocks or real estate or things like that. And those are known as security tokens, right? Am I, am I, I, I believe I'm right on everything, but if there's any sort of, uh, you know, uh, things that you want to distinguish between sort of a coin versus a utility token versus a security token, now is, I think, the time to clarify. So if you do have anything to, to add or to, to, to. I would just add that these you are, you're, I would say you're not wrong, which is one of those brilliant lawyerisms, right? <laughs> uh, because everything you're saying is true, but it's not sort of the only things that are true. It is, right. it is certainly the case that you can use a token to represent a security. At the same time, tokens can themselves be a security. Yeah. And that gets a lot of um, people who issue coins in an effort to raise money got them into a lot of trouble um, mm -hmm. because there are regulations about securities. And whether your security is a stock or a coin, you need to comply with those regulations. That's, that's free legal advice, everybody. Uh, take, take that one. Um, as opposed, and then uh, tokens with utilities, yes, right? Tokens can serve functions. It can be the case that you have uh, stable coins, for example, right? They, they serve a function. They are there to be foundational, to be steady, to be a thing that sort of always has the same value. And that, so they're still currency, right? But they don't fluctuate the way other tokens can. Um, you can have tokens that have nothing to do with money. Tokens can demonstrate membership, right? There are these brilliant things called DAOs that operate on blockchain. And very often, they have native tokens to their DAOs. And those tokens represent votes. It could be one token, one vote. Uh, sometimes you can... Each DAO can have its own rules. <clears throat> but the idea is these tokens exist, and you use that immutability and trustless features of the blockchain to make these radically democratic organizations function. So yeah, all the all of the nomenclature you just dropped is accurate, but it's also the case that I think language hasn't caught up to this technology yet. So we often say, well, on one hand, there's utility tokens. And on the other hand, there's security tokens. But I don't want anybody to think that these lines are very bright or that these buckets are very complete, because I don't think that those statements are true.
And remember, this is uh, this uh, this podcast is for entertainment purposes. If you want real legal advice, uh, come talk to us afterwards. <laughs> Basically, uh, but you know the reason why we wanted to get more specific about what we're talking about is I think that we want to get into the metaverse conversation and cryptocurrency right now, right? And uh, we want to be a little bit more precise with that because uh, you know while theor- theoretically you can do anything in the metaverse in fiat currency if that's the way it's set up, right? Uh, but most platforms have have put their platform uh, on a uh, tokenized payment system for the most part, right? Um, I, you know, Decentraland, Decentraland has Mana, Sandbox has Sand, right? And, you know, there's other tokens like you mentioned, but, you know, those are the ones that are used for more uh, fungible goods and things like that, right? Um, but, you know, in, in for, for instance, Mana is used specifically to buy property, right? Um, in, in Decentraland and, um, or, or land, and Sand is a utility token, Right, that allows you to perform certain transactions in sandbox. Right, so there's a there's there's a little bit of distinctions on what you can do with it. But ultimately, why do you think that these me, uh, these metaverses are creating their own sort of uh, uh, tokens uh, or or currency and trying to leverage that instead of just operating just in fiat uh, money or just accepting just bitcoins or 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 Ethereum or something like that? Because I think there's significant overlap between people interested in the metaverse and people interested in cryptocurrency. I don't think that they're sort of uh, necessarily related. Um, it is entirely possible that we will see, for example, uh, this is a really example, but I think it might be the case. Bank of America will um, open a metaverse, and it will, ha- or or will have um, uh, uh, locations within various metaverses, right? And you will have your debit card and you'll and they will have done the same uh what we call kyc aml which is know your customer anti-money laundering and they Mm -hmm. have to sort of know who you are and you'll have an account and a password and an email and in the metaverse you walk up to the atm and you can slide in your meta card and you can do this whole thing and entirely doable right there's there's no reason why the metaverse must necessarily be tied to a coin or or really blockchain at all Right, like they are, they are distinct and separate technologies. They tend to be experienced at the same time together because they play nicely together. But uh, in answer to your question, I think the reason a lot of these metaverse sets is because they see brilliance in the utility of blockchain. So, for, uh, specifically, non-fungible tokens, right, NFTs, and their ability to represent unique things in digital form might sound really straightforward but like rewind like 20 there was a there was a terrible panic that for example the vcr was going to destroy intellectual property because all of a sudden you could record what's on tv and watch it whenever you wanted to like the value of original programming would go completely south so there was this panic back then that technology was going to destroy everything um here we have these NFTs being unique digital properties, which is a mind-blowing in its own way. But because the metaverse is a digital realm, having digital scarcity is useful. And the best way to do that, the safest way to do that, is using financial systems built upon blockchain because it's decentralized. Because a lot of the hardship in the centralized financial system is all the verification you have to go through. That's why everything takes forever, right? That's why when you wire money, it doesn't happen automatically when you're using a bank, but when you're doing with crypto, it does because it takes forever to verify. So 
I think people who are enthusiasts about technology are going to use all of their enthusiasm at once. That's why we see a lot of metaverses minting coins. Um, but is it necessary? No. And I don't think it should be, right? Maybe I'll, I'll be the <laughs> unique one here. Um, I think for the metaverse to succeed, it has to be accessible to everybody. And in the same way that some people are comfortable with one technology and not another, I don't want to build a gate that says you have to be um, both crypto conversant and metaverse conversant to participate in the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be difficult enough to be metaverse conversant. So I want there to be avenues for fiat currency to exist in the metaverse. I think over time, right, evolutionarily, fiat's going to die because it's less perfect, but I want them to be separate. I want everybody to have access to this metaverse thing. And I'm cool with using fiat in the metaverse. No problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's become one of these things where you have to be, like you said, conversant in two different systems of technology uh, and, and in order to participate fully. And uh, it, it has led to some issues. And at the end of the day, uh, the, the reason why money is relatively straightforward and simple uh, in, the, in the real world is because we sort of get how it works. Right. Uh, there is this dollar figure, uh, you know, if you're if you're in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, but the thing is, there is this cur currency, uh, whether virtual, whether expressed for digitally or expressed through coins and 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 bills, we can exchange it for goods and services, and it's good for everything, right? Um, but you mentioned NFTs, and I think you know that's a good place to get into sort of like, and you mentioned different purposes for different types of tokens as well. And I think that's sort of where people are getting tripped up because, you know, even if you get into this Decentraland or Sandbox and you get into the conversations, there's multiple types of tokens, right? Yes, you use Mana or Sand for, you know, uh, to, to, to buy things, right? But there's also tokenized assets that cannot be easily, as easily bought and, and traded as well, right? Or you're using one form of token to buy another form of token. So for instance, you have to use uh, Mana or Sand to buy land in it, or digital real estate in that property, but you're just exchanging one token type for another. And that might make sense if you're like us and you're dealing with this every day and you're talking to people every day and this, you know, and everybody who deals with crypto, that's their world, it seems, and they understand the ins and outs of everything. But we have to admit that that's not everybody, right? It, it, there is a complexity to this idea of even just the, the concept of digital scarcity makes guys like Keanu Reeves laugh, right? Because like, you know, they, they're like, how does that work, <laughs> right? And then on top of that, if you say that I have to exchange one type of token for another type of token and this token can restrict this type of activity uh, and that kind of activity, it does lead to that complexity, I think, that really sort of confuses people. For instance, like uh, if we, when you have land to tokens and you populate and you have to take the land tokens uh, in Sandbox and you have to purchase asset tokens in order to put stuff in that land, <laughs> you know? Uh, but you also have to have, you know, at sand in order to get e either one of those. That's a pretty complex web, wouldn't you say? To explain it it to my mom. I mean, I, I love my mother, but I don't think she would get it. You know, uh, does this make sense to you? Or do you think it makes sense to people like the, 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 the general public or even our listeners right now? So I'm sure I'd love your mother too when I meet her. So, but let, let me, let me do what you just did. Right. But let me just change it a little bit. Right. So what you're telling me is you go to the store and you buy carbon and then you heat some of the carbon up and you put it on top of other carbon and then that carbon you, you, you eat with carbon and then the carbon turns into carbon and then you're more carbon. 
So <laughs> I think some of the issue here is like if I describe food in terms of its sort of chemical basis, right, as a carbon-based life form that consumes carbon-based things, like that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. It's just it's a weird way to come at it, right? Because we have a language to talk about food, right? If I say, oh, so you're buying ham and cheese and you put it on bread and then you eat it and your body chemically changes it and then things happen, right? That's just carbon changing forms, right? That's all it is. And we don't have a problem with describing that sort of carbon chain in terms of the language we have. But when we're talking about tokens, right? Just like what I heard you say is you're taking tokens and using tokens to buy tokens. And from those tokens, you get more tokens, right? That's just taking language that isn't ready for this environment and trying to apply it to that environment. So is are our mothers ready for crypto? Yes, because they understand food. All we have to do is build that language so that we can explain it to them the same way we explain to everybody what it means to make a sandwich, because that's all you're doing, right? Bread, meat, cheese, butter, lettuce. Imagine those are your tokens, right? And they all have different attributes. Fundamentally, they're all the same, but you can do a million things with them. And that's all tokens are. Interesting, but let me add one more wrinkle to it which is why I think it adds to the complexity of it, right? So yes, we can take carbon and all that kind of stuff. Granted, I understand your, your point, but in the real world, we don't have to wonder what to do about it, right? I know that if I buy food in the form of carbon and I put it on carbon and heat the carbon and I ingest the carbon, I don't have to program myself to do it. I will just do it, right? Because I have agency, I have utility, I have all the th things necessary to go and do it, right? Uh, and I'm lucky to have that and I can do it, right? But in, in the virtual world, in the metaverse, you have to program that in, right? So yes, you have to buy different tokens to get other tokens, right? In a way that you don't have to do as much with fiat currency in the real world. So that's one layer. But then there's the other layer that you have to buy, what, you know, as what Sandbox calls game tokens, or you, you program it in where you combine land assets and, and, and with other assets, uh, but you also have to program in an action, mm -hmm. right? Which can also be tokenized. That's, that's pretty trippy stuff, <laughs> Philip. Like explain that in a way that makes sense uh, to somebody that's not paying attention to this 24 seven. Uh, I would look at it in terms of physics. And I would say that, you know, Aristotle said that the earth is the center because when you drop something, it falls down. And for thousands of years, we thought that was the case. And it was Newton, you know, maybe, who said, no, 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 not the case, right? Um, this is a force where things, you know, are, are attracted towards each other when these things have mass. Now between them, like those are the giant leaps. Between there, there was a bunch of confusion, right? Um, and it turns out that, you know, Aristotle was wrong, but so is Newton, but neither of them are really wrong because, you know, Newtonian mechanics still work, but it didn't, it wasn't until the 20th century when we had Einstein and Heisenberg and Planck come in and say, oh no, there's actually this whole other reality, right? And I feel like that's the conversation we're having. When you say, I just, I naturally understand uh, how to eat and how to ingest. Um, to me, that's, we're sort of in the, in the Newtonian mechanics universe. That's where our brains are, right? Our brains understand life in this classical way. And uh, technology generally, the metaverse as an instantiation, and blockchain in particular, is, you know, it's, we're realizing there's a whole nother level, right? And we're going to need 
new ways to talk about it. No, it could be, because quite honestly, I don't understand quantum mechanics either. <laughs> it could be that it's so complex that there's only a few people on the planet that really understand it well, right? But that doesn't mean it's not true for all of us. It doesn't mean that we don't all take advantage of it, right? I mean, quick cross-promotion, Dead Cat Live Cat is another podcast and series that is out there that I think everybody listening to this should listen to, and it talks about quantum computing, where this new way of computing based upon the properties that quantum mechanics bring to the fore is going to change the way that we've been doing binary computing forever. And I feel that blockchain is the same thing here. So I, I hear you, but again, I don't think that we have to program it in. I mean, that's true, right? But that's true the way quantum mechanics is true. We just have to better understand what we're dealing with, and then we'll understand the world in a different way. If I want to enter the metaverse, I, I, there will probably be a way that I can do that using sort of a classic Newtonian mindset. I open the door, I walk in, I sit down, I eat, I buy, I sell, I love. All these things can happen. But there's underlying it is a reality that is completely understandable. If anything, I would say that the metaverse is better than this one, <laughs> only in so far as we get to program that one, right? Well, you know, uh, it, it leads me to, you know, uh, it leads me to thinking about the early, early cell phones and skeuomorphism and the fact that we needed to bring in elements from this world into our, our, our cell phone uh, so that we could understand what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So for instance, the earliest, I think YouTube logo was a, was a little TV, yeah. right? Uh, that kind of stuff, uh, because yeah. nobody would understand what it was with, before that, right? So, yes. you know, maybe what we need more than anything when we discuss money is, it almost seems like we need an anthropologist and a linguist <laughs> to, to sort of uh, work this with us, to work this issue with us. Because honestly, I think we understand it from a, from a, a, from a from practical sense, right? How do you use the money uh, that you have in the real world? How do you convert it into a way that makes sense uh, on the blockchain and stuff like that, that is accepted by these metaverse platforms or metaverse sets? Uh, and then, you know, like, what can you do within these worlds? That's stuff we understand but how we communicate it seems to be clunky. And even today, we talked about the distinction between coins and tokens and all that kind of stuff. And people might think, oh, you're being pedantic. And it's true, absolute pedantry, <laughs> but necessary pedantry, right? Because if you're not precise with the language, uh, you know, uh, it's really hard to do. For instance, in some Asian languages, you don't have the color for green or blue, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes it very hard to describe what the color of the sky is because you don't have it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you have to be, so you have to actually have all of that decided and understood by, by different sort of, uh, uh, you know, cross-cultural groups uh, before you can actually really go, uh, I would say, broad scale and wide scale mm -hmm. with something. And I think that's maybe where we're getting tripped up here in the metaverse, because a lot of people ask me, you know, how do I get involved? I say, well, it's actually pretty easy to get involved. You can make an account and you can get in. But the minute it starts getting into how do I actually do anything with of value, you know, to buy value or to sell value, that's when it turns into an absolute gong show, um, mm. which may be a Canadianism, uh, but, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but, you know, where, because then you have to start explaining how crypto exchanges work, how blockchain technology works, what a MetaMask wallet is, uh, what crypto wallets are generally, how all of these things differ. And I think that's the complexity that we sort of have to deal with. And I will deal with it in future episodes, I think, as we go along. But, you know, this is just obviously a, a little preview, I think, uh, for everybody, just so that we, we're all on the same page. So, yeah. I, I, I think so. And I think people should also have faith. 
And I think that's where we're at right now. But uh, I, I do concur that obviously that time will make all of this easier and better. There's always there's also been a lot of uh, consolidation in the space, or even even when you're talking about cryptocurrency or blockchain, there's been a lot of consolidation, and a lot of development over the past couple of years as well. Uh, but until that time, I think both sides. I think also the people that do push these kinds of things and people who do push push metaverse platforms have to also realize that this is an education process that's required. And obviously, you know, that's kind of what we're doing here too. We're trying to educate people on, you know, yes, it can be complex, but it's not theoretically that different. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just another form of consciousness and, uh, and interactivity that just. you need. It just, you know, but it's, it's not going to be as foreign. It's, it, it's about, it's going to be as foreign as somebody that, uh, that is encountering a smart, has been in a coma and is encountering a smartphone for the first time, right? Uh, it, it's going to be like that. In fact, I played a, a great game this weekend in the very limited free time I had called uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, mm -hmm. where a guy uh, basically was in jail for 18 years and didn't understand what a smartphone was. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking about this, because how would you explain smartphones? How would you explain digital currency? How would you explain metaverse to somebody that basically hasn't participated in society in 18 years? It'd be a difficult conversation, but it's one that we're now, even us, without a computer science background, we're starting to have in what I hope is a halfway intelligent way. And, and just to recap, I, th I think it'd be useful. You know, We talked about money in the metaverse. Money basically in the metaverse is conceptual, right? In, like all currency, it's largely blockchain-based, you know, uh, not always bitcoins a lot of it is tokenized formats of stuff right you'll hear a lot about erc20 and all that kind of stuff um it's used for transactional purposes to, to obtain other digital tokens which basically like you mentioned are you know uh it's carbon purchasing carbon right um and but because metaverse is more intentional i would say than meat space right um simply having land and assets expressed as entities it's not enough, right? You have to either create or purchase 3D game experience stuff in order to actually do something with it. And I think that is one wrinkle that is going to be a little bit different just because the modality of how we exist in the metaverse is different. And I would flip that on its head just a little bit, right? I mean, everything you said is accurate, but the idea that it's not enough to simply own, you have to either create, I would just phrase it and say, it's not enough to hold, you get to actually create, <laughs> you know? And like, and that's really cool because out here, I, I can't, you know? I, it's hard for me to change the attributes of things that I own. Certainly, you know, woodworking is something I enjoy and that's one thing, right? But now I get to do that digitally in ways that, you know, defy everything I've always thought was true. And that is, I think that's a brilliant opportunity. And we're gonna talk about that in a, in a, in a different arc, you know, uh, <laughs> all about the opportunities created. Um, you know, at, you know, and just to just to I guess wrap up a, a one point. It's like money in the metaverse acts a little differently mm -hmm. from here, from in the meat space, because the value doesn't actually come from government recognition or government backing, right? It, it rather it it's direct control that's transferred over to you by a peer to peer network, right? But assuming you're using blockchain based, if you're using blockchain based technology, right? yes, exactly. But you know, restrictions can be put on the metaverse, right? And the types of tokens you use and all that kind of stuff. So it's important to note that it isn't a one-to-one -one, uh, you know, equivalency, but broadly, conceptually, I think we're capable of understanding it, right? If you understand that everything is a medium of exchange, the, you know, using currency or cryptocurrency in the metaverse is not gonna be a giant leap 
forward or or into a strange world for you. You'll understand it. It's gonna have you're gonna have to think about it a little bit differently and come up with the language. I would say I think we all need to come up with the language to talk about it intelligently so that we're precise in what we say. Uh, because that has been a frustration when people throw around coins and tokens and willy-nilly and even use it interchangeably. You know, I think that's fine. Uh, you know, if you're talking about it or at a, you know, but it's not fine if you're using it for legal purposes or you're using it to actually build an, a business empire. You have to actually be very intentional about that. And I think as as attorneys, that that's something that we are very passionate about. We want you to know what you're getting into, and that's something that you do need to actually keep in mind, right, Phil? Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think there's a <clears throat> while that is necessary. I think there's there's also a danger that um, over jargon can create mm -hmm. the creation of these hyper ethereal uh, financial instruments was you know something and it there were so many layers and so many specialties that it was a house of cards and that's what people think crypto might be um, but it doesn't have to be right yeah. so so long as we have the right language to talk about it because I, I think that the average person involved in the housing market in 2007 could have understood what was happening if it was explained to them in language that you know most people speak and it wasn't so i don't want the metaverse to take to take that route we can't begin speaking our own language all the time right we still need that esperanto absolutely and that's and i think that's a great place to leave it for for this episode because yes uh we want you to be precise we want to all be talking about the same thing but this is for everybody right? The metaverse is for everybody. And for you to be able to interact with it, you're going to need to know how money works. You're going to need to know how all this works. And uh, we want everyone to participate. All right. Well, thank you very much for, 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 for joining me, Philip. And, uh, you know, thanks to everybody for listening next week, or actually, next, I should say next episode, <laughs> we'll be talking uh, about uh, something a little different. Uh, you know, we've talked about property, we've talked about money, but I think we're going to be talking about relationships in the metaverse next episode. And, uh, you know, uh, yes, it's going to be a little bit different, but uh, it's going to build on what we've been talking about so far. So looking forward to that. Well, Philip, we're dressed differently. I think our haircuts are a little different, uh, you know, and just to just to bring people behind the scenes, it's been a few weeks since we last uh, recorded the, the episode and we do not have a guest. Uh, Philip, <laughs> could you share with the uh, with uh, with our audience why we don't have a guest uh, this week? Absolutely. So uh, the episode that we were recording was Meta Money, Meta Problems, and the idea was, you know, what is money in the metaverse? And our idea was, oh, let's get a player in the cryptocurrency space to come talk to us about how cryptocurrency in the metaverse might interplay. Well. Turns out that while we were concerned about how cryptocurrency is going to play in the metaverse, cryptocurrency decided to do something different in not the metaverse, and its value seems to have gone um, somewhere other than what the speculators thought. There are smarter people in the universe discussing this on other podcasts, Metasapiens, and if you want a breakdown of what's happening with cryptocurrency, by all means, I highly recommend that you go to someplace where they're talking about cryptocurrency. Here, we talk about the metaverse. And what this situation brings to mind, which is being affectionately referred to as crypto winter, is the decoupling, I hope, of the metaverse from the idea of cryptocurrencies. Uh, the metaverse is not, and has never been, a distributed ledger technology play. Uh, it is possible 
to integrate distributed ledger technologies into um, the metaverse. You can base a metaverse, I mean, I'm sure you could, on a blockchain. We have a lot of players acting there, but they are fundamentally different. And I think that is an important thing to remember as we talk about money in the metaverse, right? I, we've mentioned when we were recording this previously, what centralized finance will look like in the metaverse, uh, how those players could actually are engaging in the metaverse. I think there are virtual Bank of America branches in metaverses as we speak. Um, and so in that sense, we couldn't find anybody who's willing to come <laughs> on our show and talk about cryptocurrency because in all fairness, they are putting out fires in their respective uh, universes and they don't wanna come talk to us because you know we ask pointed questions. Um, but in general, that is why you see Jason and I talking about this. And I think that's the question that I want to explore today. And I, I don't get to set our agenda, but one thing that I think is interesting is the assumption that the metaverse and cryptocurrencies would be somehow married, uh, the pros and cons of that assumption, and what we do now that the validity of that assumption is being called into question. Yeah, and we're seeing the, the cons of that right now, right? I mean, at the, because it was so interchangeable to talk about the metaverse and, you know, uh, you know, this distributed ledger technology and cryptocurrency and all that, all those things together, uh, it became easy to confuse everything, right? Um, and I think we spent a lot of time talking about the fact that, hey, cryptocurrency and what you do with tokens and, you know, the, the terminology, Philip, terminology that's that's imprecise that drives me crazy i think we're seeing that now a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of token technology will persist are a key feature of how you build uh, sort of metaverse platforms and goods within those metaverse platforms right those will persist but what we're talking about are stores of value and you know eco virtual economies uh and actually operationalizing sort of commerce uh within these worlds and the assumption was hey we need to do it through cryptocurrency we need to you know we'll all go to the moon together or whatever <laughs> that is right whatever dogecoin would say but you know uh i think like you said there's been a decoupling of that right i think when you know it isn't a straight shot to the moon even if it does go to the moon we know there are a lot of different sort of uh false starts uh to, to do it so we're 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 going to definitely see i think a decoupling of some sort and who knows maybe is this a chance for fiat to come in is you know i know a lot of credit card uh, companies are uh, have been and are also currently exploring you know uh by the the ability to buy virtual goods directly through existing channels, right? You know, how will this all play out? And I think one, that, one of the things that's important for MetaSapiens to, re, uh, to realize is that all of this is not settled yet. This is, we are, you are, we are in the pre-alpha of the metaverse, right? Uh, it's like how the Oculus Quest, I believe, is in perpetual beta, right? Uh, we're not even there yet. Uh, no. You know, we have not figured out any of the systems, we, you know, even decentralized finance, which is a great, uh, you know, philosophy and theory is being tested at the moment, right? Uh, lots of lots of uh, uh, drama with Solana and, and things we won't get into. But, you know, decentralized finance is great in theory until things go wrong. <laughs> and then what happens? And we haven't figured out those processes yet. So, Philip, what do you think the future looks like? I mean, I'm confused uh, about what the future looks like. Do you have a what are you thinking? I think that you you nailed it in the first few sentences you said the tokenization within the metaverse persists. Uh, specifically, you know, non-fungible tokens are still very useful. Um, they have value uh, insofar as they are 
treatable as assets almost explicitly in a way that cryptocurrencies were mistakenly treated as assets and, and, and not used as currencies, right? I mean, I, I own Bitcoin, but quite honestly, like I'm, I'm a hodler. I don't, I don't spend that stuff. I hang on to it because the idea is, you know, 30 years from now, my kids go to college. Yeah, I hope it goes someplace. Um, but that's not what I do with, with, with American money, right? I mean, I, I have some savings, but I don't hold those savings because I think they'll increase in value, right? I use that as a currency. So that's been the decoupling, but not the decoupling of tokens from the metaverse. Because, right. for example, governance tokens. Um, I see you know, when people issue tokens for DAOs, and those DAOs are voted upon only by token holders. They're, sometimes they're tradable, sometimes they're not. You know, sometimes they have value, sometimes they don't. But those, those tokens that have utility, in addition to possibly being an asset, th that's sticking around, right? Uh, I don't think that Chris, certainly <laughs> this is a truism, maybe a ridiculous thing to say. But if anybody thinks that the meltdown of the cryptocurrency market indicates the meltdown of blockchain and its use, that is a that's that's a that's a huge huge overgeneralization. Blockchain is here to stay. Um, as so long as we have computers, we will have blockchain from this point forward. Currencies uh, in cryptocurrencies. I mean, we've always had currencies, right? I think we'll probably always have cryptocurrencies. Certainly, you know, Bitcoin lost value, but it's still way more valuable than it was twenty years ago. Um, and Things go in cycles, like, like any asset. I mean, I, if you've been around crypto for a while, if you only joined crypto like this year, like you're freaking out because you bought it one of the highest highs and now it's worth nothing. <laughs> but if you've been in crypto for 18 months or you're 24 or, or five years even, right? Then this is kind of par for the course. You see these things happen every now and then. This is a big correction, but that's also because we had a lot of speculation until now, right? Unfortunately, you know, bubbles happen, be it tulips or cryptocurrencies. Um, but the future I see is just what you said, Jason. The use of blockchain technology within the metaverse is here to stay um, because of its other properties. Yeah. Not its use as a currency, but its, its immutability, its transparency. Those things matter. And when you add in sort of the, the non-fungibility of certain tokens, that singularity, to misuse a term, but use it correctly, is also really useful, right? That uniqueness, that the way that we can make things digitally unique now matters a lot. All of that is going to stay. Um, will cryptocurrency be used in the metaverse? I think, of course. Um, but the same way that Meta, the company, is trying to take over the metaverse, you know, and I, well, I think, didn't it just happen that they, they, they stopped the necessity of having a Facebook account in order to use their metaverse through their yes. headset? thing in my opinion um but what i'm saying is the same way you're seeing sort of established companies sort of web 2.0 uh companies try to grab land in the metaverse you're going to see finance 1.0 and finance 2.0 you know really put their feet down and say hey you know come to us we are also digitally capable um it's a different animal but it'll it'll happen right you'll be able to use your credit card in the metaverse you know, it brings me back, this brings me back to what Charles Smith said uh, from Nifty Island uh, in our last episode about the fact that uh, these, to uh, first of all, the technology and the, and the tokens within it um, have utility in a Lockean sense, right? Uh, you know, if we're fans of utilitarianism, uh, you know, or we're talking about John Locke, but, uh, you know, uh, that because they have this utility and they, 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 they do actual have value and you do actually have contribute labor into the environment in, in the metaverse or theoretically you can do through you can do that through tokens there will always be a use for that again cryptocurrency uh we're, we're just at the bleeding edge of it 
right? And, and I think we were talking about earlier this episode about the fact that Bitcoin, in my view, kind of functions almost as like virtual gold at this point, right? Where there's a lot of people that invest in it, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we're not quite sure what the, uh, you know, the, the final use case is, but it, it, but people agree it has value uh, and it will go up and down. And whether you think it's going to go up long-term or it's going to go down long-term, it's something is going to happen, but just like any asset, it will go up and down in waves, right? And that's okay, right? That That's just, uh, that's in a weird way. It also shows the, 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 the long-term viability of what we're talking about here, because there are things that will be useful because they are useful. And there are things that will be useful because they have value, because we all agree they have value. And if Bitcoin can persist through this winter, previous winters, future winters, it will show that it has an inherent value no matter what, right? And that's oddly valuable, right? It's just like the giant, the, the broader art market. It's like, you know, frankly, gold. I don't know, you know, I don't wear that much gold other than my my wedding ring, but if you have a bar of gold that you have, we have all agreed that thing has value, even though most of us don't use it on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So it's interesting to me how this will play out. Now, the things that you're talking about in terms of decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, um, you know, I think that this is the opportunity to have a lot more clarity on the governance side of things, right? You know, what role do DAOs play? What role do the user, does the user base uh, or the, uh, the ownership base of these uh, cryptocurrencies have in the actual governance and the, the structure and the actual liquidity of the uh, of, of the various uh, cryptocurrencies. This is an opportunity. Now, <laughs> has it gone well uh, so far? Absolutely not. Uh, but you know, how do you, I'm actually relatively? This actually makes makes me feel better. People are talking about governance. People are talking about, you know, DAOs and, and, and ways to mitigate against, you know, manipulation and things. So I'm actually just a, being a foolish optimist, maybe. But what about you, Phil? How do you, what do you feel about that? Do you think this is actually a sort of a, a, a spring road to the maturation of, you know, not only cryptocurrency, but the, it's cryptocurrency's uh, utility within the metaverse or potential utility within the metaverse? I honestly don't know. I think what we are seeing is DAOs come in many different flavors. And if you have sort of a, a decentralized system that is really decentralized, where you are spreading risk around, and people hold these governance tokens for reasons other than their value, I don't see those groups being impacted by quote, other currencies that have DAOs are being impacted, often because they were... <laughs> what. I, I heard referred to as a dino, a DAO in name only, where you actually had one person or one group mm -hmm. hold a ridiculous amount of voting power, which, I mean, why have a DAO anyway, right? It's like, a, it's like an election in a totalitarian state, right? What, there's, there's no point. It's all window dressing. So one would think that our current situation with cryptocurrency indicates the necessity of the decentralization, the D part of FI, Right. That is going to be important. Now, centralization had, some people might say, some had the spike it did in recent months before the crash because it was utilizing a lot of stable coins that ended up being less stable than we thought. Mm -hmm. In that sense, I'm reminded, and I'm sure there's going to be a historian that's going to just crucify me for this, but what happened in the early 20th century where we didn't have regulation for our securities markets and you know we had giant balloons followed by a giant recession or depression some people call it 
big one, as I understand it, but it wasn't that great. In any case, <laughs> regulation came in after that. So this is when I'm going to get crucified. You say, are you trying to suggest, Milestone, that regulation is the answer? No, but I think that regulation is important, right? The same way that the paint on the walls behind me isn't full of lead, right? The same way that it's illegal for people to employ my children to make soccer balls. Like regulation is not inherently bad. Is it going to be useful in cryptocurrency to avoid something like happen in the future? Mm, maybe, right? I mean, if people say that they're going to be decentralized, there should be some standards. If people say that their stablecoin is asset backed, like, we should be able to see maybe what those assets are, or at least how much, right? Is it enough that they have sort of 105% of the value of their coin in assets? Like, maybe not. Maybe we need more, right? Same thing we did to banks in 2008, 2009. They said everything was cool. They said that they're, you know, so they're, they're, the money on their books was, was backed by sufficient assets, and they were very, very, very wrong. And I think that's a great example of regulation gone horribly south, right? What did we do? We didn't do anything. We gave them a ton of money and we still have the same problem. Like, that's what I don't want to have happen here. So <laughs> in a very long-winded way, I would say, Jason, you're right. This is an opportunity, right? This is a good time for uh, players in the market, for advocates, for evangelists, for regulators, for investors, and just ordinary users to, to really pay attention, right? Stop thinking that this is a thing that you can just put money into and then you know, assume it's going to go up. That's not true for anything. <laughs> and that was, that was never true for cryptocurrency. So, you know, let, let us now breathe through that um, and let us find a way to build real growth. And to tie it back to the metaverse, that might be one of the plays, right? Where now it's not that I need to worry about spending my cryptocurrency at a, at a, oh, you know, now I can go to a place that is sort of digitally native. And instead of worrying about the conversion between digital space and not digital space with my unique skin and spend a digitally native token or currency to enhance that skin or have an experience or, you know, buy a thing or an object or a, a perception or whatever it is. Um, but all that can happen sort of within the metaverse. So maybe the metaverse is this place where digital currency can actually build the lock-in value that you were talking about in the first place, right? Stop the, I mean, we need bridges between not digital and digital space, but maybe cryptocurrency just blew up too quickly. It needed a better Petri dish. And maybe now we have one. You know, uh, well, I have worked for the government. I am a bureaucrat, uh, maybe not at heart, but at least in terms of uh, uh, my part of my DNA actually does belong to that. Right. And, uh, you know, having worked for the government and, and sat in, uh, uh, you know, to a certain extent, either investigator or regulators chair, I understand how people can think, hey, there's this big centralized government, you know, shadowy thing uh, that they're, you know, everybody's going to regulation means stop. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's an impediment to progress and it's a top down structure. But that's not what regulation has to be. And in fact, in a lot of ways, that's not regulated what regulation is at all. Right. A lot of regulation is actually already decentralized. Right. Um, but the key here is that if you want to have decentralized regulation and you don't want a top-down structure, you then need something called transparency, right? So, you know, it can't just be one whale owning all of the governance tokens and then making a decision for an entire, uh, you know, cryptocurrency ecosystem, because that's just, guess what? That's, you're just investing in somebody else's piggy bank, right? 
what you what you really need is you need transparency about who owns what and you can make an informed decision of whether you want to jump in whether you want to stay out whether you want to actually uh you know advocate for change in the governance structure and how 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 decisions are made you need to know that information and i think right now the biggest thing that we're finding is we didn't know <laughs> what we were getting into, or at least I didn't know in some cases what, what I was getting into with some forms of cryptocurrency. Now, does that have ramifications for the metaverse? Unfortunately, for the short term, I think it does, because it's just been so tied together in terms of we're going to use DeFi, we're going to use cryptocurrency, and we're going to make it a stable, stateful part of the, of the metaverse. I think that's what, you know, like you said uh, previously, there's, it's like a Venn diagram, and it wasn't exactly you know, overlapping, but it's pretty damn close, right? Um, that is gonna have to decouple a little bit, I think. You know, we're gonna have to start thinking of metaverse as, as, as a virtual playground, a virtual uh, you know, forum for us to live and to interact. And if we do that, then, then currency and how we fit in all forms of currency, whether it be fiat, whether it be uh, you know, cryptocurrency, that has to be negotiated and thought through, right? Um, is there an answer? No, like I said, we're still pre-alpha, right? But we can we can get there, I think. And it's gonna require a lot of discussion. It's gonna require also a lot of education. And my concern is that there's a lot of people being told that the metaverse is, is going to be big, right? But you know, there's very, very little bit about like giving people background on what this is, right? And I think we're trying to do that on this podcast and other forums, but there's been a lot of groupthink rather than actual critical think. And I'm, I'm pretty excited for the critical thing part because long-term that actually led, uh, leads to more stable sort of outcomes for everyone involved because the metaverse I think is the future, right? Uh, we're just socialized into it. You know, if you've ever played a video game or anything like that, you've interacted with anyone in World of Warcraft or NBA 2K, you know what the metaverse could be, right? We're not there yet, but you know, uh, I'm not sure how, how, how everything fits together yet too. So. You know, that's why I enjoy having these conversations with people, because <laughs> I learn and think more critically about what I and, and challenge my assumptions of what these are. Yeah, I and I it's it's a lesson to all of us. I mean, I, I feel the same way. And I it's it's important for us to take ownership of this thing um, and get involved if you want to get involved. I think that, like you say, regulation doesn't assume a central authority and it is possible for like minded persons to get together and, you know, build the rules we're talking about. That's actually one of the cool things about the metaverse. It's a place where people can meet and it's, it's, it's geography agnostic, but it is nonetheless um, very good at connecting us. And because of that, you can find like-minded persons from anywhere who can get together and then build their own rules. Again, just to get back to DAOs, that's one of the reasons I think that they are really cool is you could get together with people and say, okay, you know, we are going to, you know, adopt this token. It's usable in this way. These are our rules to make it strong. And if you have through the right people making decisions based upon lessons learned from where we are now, then I, I, I see a bright future. I, again, just to reiterate, I don't see crypto winter as being metaverse winter. These things are, are not the same. So I guess for all of our meta sapiens, I would say, look, if you like cryptocurrency, good for you. If you like the metaverse, good for you. But just because you're one doesn't mean you have to be the other. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, you know, uh, 
you, thanks for uh, thanks to all the Metasepians for actually you know uh, listening to us a little bit more <laughs> rather than a guest. But uh, you know, hopefully this has been educational. I know it's been a, sort of a, a good forum for me to think through these issues. And and quite frankly, I I also fell into the trap of thinking that cryptocurrency and meta, the metaverse were intrinsically tied. And you know, now that I thought I step back and think about it a little bit more critically. I realize it doesn't have to be, right? And just like the metaverse doesn't have to be what Meta says it's going to be, right? Just like uh, it doesn't even have to be what 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 Charles Smith at Nifty Island thinks it's going to be. And the governance structure of that, even though somebody creates that world, we as the users get to negotiate that because guess what? Our participation has power. And just like we found out in the crypto winter, if you don't participate or if the key people don't participate, they can all head south real quick. So, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Meta Sapiens. We'll be back next episode uh, talking about relationships with Dr. Joan Irvine. And uh, yeah, we look forward to, to seeing you then. Thanks, everybody.